Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our Connections Director, Jen Lewis, for this week's message. Fortunately, the traffic isn't too bad on Sunday mornings, although I heard there might have been something that was out there. So glad you're here. Um, So my husband informed me this week on Tuesday that right at this present moment in the year, every professional sports season is in session. That it, no matter what your favorite sport is, you can turn on the TV at some point during the week and you can find soccer or hockey or basketball now and baseball's finishing and football, of course, is happening. And so what that means in my house is that after the kids go to bed, I have to make a point to get to the remote control first or we will be watching sports. Which honestly, because I love my husband and he loves sports, it's okay. Um, and because he loves me, there are times when he lets me watch HGTV or, you know, Office if we need to, to um, watch something mindless. But as I sit there and watch these athletes play when I do support him in his sports watching, I'm always amazed at their just natural innate abilities to do things. You know, it's obvious that they were given extra skills in life. Like you can't look at Lionel Messi and watch how he kicks the soccer ball around and not think, wow, he is specially gifted for what he does. But what we don't see is all the behind the scenes stuff that happens throughout the week for those athletes. That it's not just that they were born with this innate ability, but they have honed that ability and they work hard. They spend extreme amounts of time um, thinking about what they eat, what they're exercising, how they practice, what, you know, different moves they need to do and, you know, all that. And, and this, in this series, we have been talking about how we're going to be different. We're going to be off the map and different than the culture around us. And in some ways that will innately happen for us. The Holy Spirit will empower us to do certain things, but it also requires us to have daily habits and practices to hone our character and our abilities so that in those moments that matter at work or in those moments that matter in life, we will be able to draw on the habits and the practices that we have made a part of our kind of behind the scenes life so that we can live and make godly decisions in a way that would be pleasing to God. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a little bit of time talking about some spiritual disciplines, which are spiritual habits that we have in our daily life that are often things that people don't see and are habits that we have that will help us live out this life in in a way that is pleasing to God. Now, there are several um, spiritual disciplines. You know, when you think of spiritual disciplines, maybe you think reading your Bible or fasting or prayer or tithing, and all those are spiritual disciplines. Those are things that are practiced on a regular basis to help to shape you and make you more like Christ. It's your Um, your cooperation with the Spirit and your part of that uh, kind of making you more like Jesus. Jesus, The sanctification is kind of the the theological term for that. But what I want to do before we talk about spiritual disciplines is make sure that when we talk about them, that you understand that it's not the discipline or the practice that is saving you. 
that we're not doing any of these things to earn God's favor or his love because we already have that because of what Jesus did on the cross. We don't do these things to save us. We do these things because Jesus already saved us. Does that make sense? In Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. These things, these habits that we, that we have in our lives are our living sacrifice. There are acts of worship that help to make our lives holy and pleasing to God. So we're going to talk about two um, spiritual disciplines today that are, they just are off the map. They're countercultural. They're not things that we in our society practice very much anymore. And we've been talking about them off and on for probably several months. And so some of you might be like, this isn't new to me. You've talked about this before. And we have, but these particular spiritual disciplines are so not what the rest of the world around us does that we need, we are, you know, as staff members, we're having conversations with people and they're thinking, you know, I don't really, I can't do that or I'm not really going to do that or I don't really know how to do that. And so we're going to look a little bit deeper at these two. They are silence and solitude and Sabbath. Okay. Now, I want to look at silence and solitude first. If you were here last week, Chris talked about the prophet Elijah and Elijah, if you remember, had worked really hard, had done some amazing things for God to the point where he got burnout and found himself in a cave, scared and wanting to just end it all. And at the end of the, the account that Chris talked about, God comes to Elijah. And the, it really wasn't the point of last week's message, but it would help us in our study of silence and solitude. And so I want to start there. It's in 1 Kings 19.11. And it says that the Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, in another translation, that verse 12 says this, And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. So God can come loudly. He can come in the big things. He can come in the, the incredible moves or, or things that you can't, you know, there's no way you could not notice it. But then there are many times, and I would, I would venture to say most times, God comes to us quietly. He comes to us in the quiet. Because in the quiet, our minds are calm enough, and they're open enough, and have space for God's thoughts to come, or God's words to come. It's hard, though, in 2019 to have silence, I mean, if you think about it, there's dings and pings and machines running and, and podcasts to listen to and YouTube videos to watch and Netflix to, you know, binge on. And there's all these things vying for our attention, which we have talked about before. But if you think about it, 120 years ago, if you were alone, it was quiet unless you were making the noise. 
Now we get in our car and if we don't want to be in silence, we just turn something on. Or if we go home, even if we're not watching anything, we can have the background, of, you know, TV on in the background just playing something. There's constantly the opportunity for us to not have quiet, for us to constantly have noise or stimulation in our lives. But we're missing the quiet where God can speak to us because it's in the quiet when we can be receptive to what he has for us. You know, it's even in the quiet that we can think for ourselves and not just absorb all the opinions that are coming at us from culture. It's in the quiet when we can have self-reflection. It's in the quiet when we can evaluate, why did this hurt me? And not, you know, whatever happened during the day or whatever's going on in our lives. You know, often we don't want to feel those feelings. We just want to suppress them. We want to ignore them and, and numb them with the noise of life. John Piper says this, one benefit of silence is simply searching the depths of our own souls, asking what our blind spots have become in the rush of everyday life. In the busyness, is there anything important I'm neglecting or repressing? How am I doing in my various roles? What, what needs refocusing? It's in the quiet when we can actually self-evaluate and think about how things are going. My favorite psalm ends, my favorite psalm of all time is 139, and it ends with this prayer to God. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, this is a fantastic prayer, and God can do all the searching, and he can know your heart, and he can test you in all kinds of ways, but if you're not listening for what he's finding when he searches you, it doesn't help. It's like when you can tell there's like something sluggish in your car, or maybe you maybe have heard like a little rattle or something, and you sense something's not right with the car. The first thing you do in your car is turn off the radio and listen. And the same can be true for us. There are signals that our body will give us that something's not right. Either we're feeling overly anxious or our worries are getting the best of us or we're tense or even just our body like our, our shoulders and our back is tense or maybe we're quick to anger or, or jumpy or, or there's just that kind of nebulous feeling that something's just not right. It's in those moments where we need to turn down the noise in our lives and just listen. I know for me, since my kids have gone to school, okay, so my kids are now all in school, but I only work part-time. So there's several hours in a week where I'm alone. And I, I mean, I still have plenty to do. There's always laundry. I don't know, have you experienced this? Like it never ends. Laundry never ends. You wash it and then you have to fold it and then you have to put it away. And then by the time you've done that, there's more. But anyway, okay, so there's always laundry, there's always errands, there's always bills to pay, there's always something to do during that time when the kids are not at home. And, but I don't, I don't often do it in silence. It's like unnerving. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who experiences this, that we want that noise on in the background. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because I don't want to feel lonely or if I think all these tasks are just kind of menial tasks and I need to make up for it by like learning something or, or getting in the know about, you know, something that's going on in the world. I don't know. 
But the truth is when we make room for silence and solitude in our lives, we make room for God to enter our thoughts and our worries can become prayers and our, our sins can be revealed and confessed and God can talk to us and, and in his still small voice and he can share just thoughts of love or encouragement or sometimes it's correction. But we allow him an opportunity to speak into our lives. Now, there's scientific research saying that this is good for your health. So even if you're here and you're not quite sure about Jesus, like this is proving out to be true when the scientists are studying it. According to research, the higher the noise, the higher your blood pressure. The more noise there is, the increased heart rates and disrupted sleep patterns. Too much noise can actually cause stress and tension that wasn't there prior to that. But silence has the opposite effect. It can bring uh, release tension in the brain and in the body. And even, it is even better than soothing music. Like you think maybe music is going to, you know, like nice, soft, like, I don't know, you know, music is going to help. And it might help, but it doesn't help as much as just flat out silence. According to the research, the constant noise in our lives is affecting our prefrontal cortex part of our brain. Now, you can tell I'm not a scientist. But anyway, it's messing up with that area in our brain. And the interesting thing is that's where we make our higher level thinking decisions. That's where we make, um, where we, where we make decisions, where we have high order thinking. It's problem solving area. But because of the noise in our lives, we're actually hindering the function of that part of our brain. It also says, the research, that five to ten minutes a day of intentional silence not only replenishes the brain, but helps it to regenerate and regrow. So when we are intentionally placing silence in our lives, we are actually repairing our brain from things that have gone on and the noise that we've experienced earlier and, and, you know, the days before us. But it also replenishes and repairs so that we are ready for the days that are coming to us. So think about this. How does this look and how could it look in your life? I know some of you are thinking, ha, 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 silence and solitude, that's funny. You know, there's no way I can do that. Well, I don't know, maybe there is. If you've got little ones, maybe as soon as they get down, go down for a nap and you know that heavy rhythmic breathing is happening, instead of going to check off the next thing on your to-do list, you just sit for a minute. Or maybe before everybody's waking up in the morning and the coffee's percolating and you can just sit for two minutes. Maybe it's on the way to work. You pull over on the side of the road at a, a scenic spot that's on the way. You know, my husband always jokes about how he, he gets to drive through, how does he say it? He gets to drive through Pleasant Valley in the friendliest city in almost heaven, West Virginia, every day of his life on his way to work. So there are great spots along the way where he could stop and have quiet. I don't know if he does, but he could. Think about ways in your life where you could just have a little bit of time. Maybe you're a night owl, and so it's after everybody goes to bed. Or maybe it's at lunchtime, and if, if, if people are going to come into your office at lunchtime, go to your car and sit for a little while. If you're a runner or a walker, instead of going with the music or a podcast in your ear, go with nothing. I want you guys to think about some ways you can intentionally have silence in your life. Start with two minutes a day and see if you can work up to five or 10 minutes. You'll be shocked at how long two minutes feels, by the way. 
If you're not used to silence, and I bet you don't even realize you're not used to silence, but if you start to uh, intentionally have it in your life, you will see that it is so beneficial, and you will see that it has been missing. Many of you can experience that. You know, I have a friend who is a um, professor of voice up at West Lib, and she said one of the common things that she sees in her students as they are preparing their pieces for performances is that when a composer puts a rest or a break in a song, that it is very common for a student to want to rush through that spot and, and get to the next note because they don't want it to just silence, to just hang there. They don't feel comfortable with that. And what she teaches them is she says, no, the composer put that there for a reason. Because in that quiet, in that silence, the listener is drawn into the drama of the song. And they can, more, um, they can more readily experience the emotion that was meant by the composer. And it is the same way for us. God designed our lives to have noise and to have laughter and to have busy. But he also designed us to have quiet moments so that we can enjoy the loud moments and enjoy the silent moments. And it's in those times where we can allow that emotion and the depth of life to really be experienced. So I challenge you this week, try that. Now the second uh, spiritual discipline is Sabbath. Now I have to tell you this, I had a conversation with someone this week and when they, they heard that I was talking about Sabbath, they said, I gotta be honest with you, every time I hear anybody talk about Sabbath, my BS meter goes off. Like really, like I'm gonna be able to do this. And, and this is what we're hearing, that as we're talking about Sabbath, people are like, I just can't do it. I'm not going to do it. I don't know how to do it. It's not going to function in my life. It's too hard. And so I'm going to talk about some of those arguments today and see if we can look at how we can make it happen in our lives. Um, now, for those of you who don't know what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath is observing a day of rest every seventh day. So you work for six, and then you make it a point to just rest, relax, and do something restorative, and, and maybe something where you're spending a little bit of extra time with God on that day. Last week, Chris had a line that everybody loved, and he was talking about rest, and he said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. People love that. I've heard it over and over again, and I love that. So doing something spiritual can be taking a nap, and it can. But what Chris was talking about last year was kind, or last week, was kind of that random rest that is needed after an extreme scenario. And you're going to have those seasons in life, and you're going to need that kind of rest. But what Sabbath is, is Sabbath is a regular rhythm of rest, that it's just going to come around each week, and you're going to kind of feel that and get into that rhythm in your life. It's completely countercultural. Like, this is not how we function anymore. Everything is open. Amazon is always available to us. Netflix is always available to us. There's never, you know, Kroger, Walmart, whatever. I mean, you guys can get what you need and go where you want to go pretty much 24-7. And I know that some people are, when they hear this, are thinking, look, she's a church worker. This is good for her, but this isn't going to work in my life. If you're sitting there and going, this isn't going to work, I want you to just listen. Just think about some of these um, accounts in the Bible and then also think about these, some of these ideas and ways that you can maybe make this work. I know that you've got bills to pay. I know that you have a business to run and you have little ones running around and, and there's always something extra on the to-do list. I get it. And I know that many of you are thinking, I can't afford to take a day off. 
But what the research says and what God ultimately is saying in his word is if you want to be spiritually, mentally, and physically healthy, you can't afford to not take a day of rest, to have that rhythm in your life. And, you know, we, we, we have this in us where we're just like, no, you got to go. You got to produce. You got to be good. You got to keep moving. You can't be lazy. You got to go. But I got to tell you something. We were created to have limits. God is not disappointed that you have limited energy. He designed you that way. He designed you to need sleep and to enjoy sleep. He designed you to... Um, to have a desire and a need for limits and a rhythm in your life. And what is fantastic about Sabbath is Sabbath is a weekly reminder that you're not God, that you can't do it all, that you're unable to do it all, and you're not expected to do it all, which is fantastic. Sabbath is a gift. It is a gift of reminding us that life is a gift. And that the fact that we don't have to earn our way to heaven is a gift. It teaches us that our value is not in what we do. It's not in what we produce. It's not in how much we get done. Our value is just because God designed us and made us and said you're valuable. God came up with this idea of an earth and people on it and things we can enjoy, like blue sky. Why is that appealing to us? Because God gave us the ability to enjoy it. All of this is his design and his idea. And when we're rushing and rushing and rushing and rushing, we don't see it. We don't remember it. So when God first instructed the Israelites about this idea of Sabbath, it was after they had spent 400 years in Egypt as slaves. He gave it to them in the Ten Commandments. He said, look, you're going to take a seventh day to just rest. But what's interesting is they had spent the last 400 years enslaved. That Rest was not a part of their lifestyle. It was not a part of their perspective. And it's similar for us today. This is not something we think of innately. But God told them, look, I want you to take a rest. Now, what's interesting about the Ten Commandments is if you look at them, I mean, oftentimes when you think Ten Commandments, you think it's a list of rules, you know? But when you really study the Ten Commandments, it really is a prescription for having a healthy relationship with God and a healthy relationship with others. So the first three about, are about how you can honor God and have a healthy relationship with God, and the last six are how you can have healthy relationships with the people around you. But Commandment 4 is the Sabbath commandment. And this is what it says. It says, remember the Sabbath day. It's the longest one too, by the way. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, what's interesting about that is that Sabbath that's in the middle of not technically in the middle, but almost in the middle of the Ten Commandments, is what gives us the ability to do the rest of them. 
Because it's in the Sabbath when we can remember and honor God and keep right perspective of who he is. And it's with the Sabbath that we can rest and then have the energy to love other people and serve them well the rest of the week. The Sabbath is a gift. I think so much what hinders people when they hear the Sabbath is they don't think of it as a gift. They think of it as something else they have to figure out how to do. I want you to try to think of Sabbath as a gift God is offering to you. It is a weekly reminder that it's not about what you do. It's about what God has done already for you. Now, let me show you something else that I thought was interesting. So right before God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments, he is already teaching them the concept of the Sabbath, even before he talks about it. So the Israelites, go, go, they get freed from Egypt, and they go through the Red Sea, you know, when the water is parting, and they get to walk through on dry land, and it's really cool. They get to the other side, and they're in a desert or wilderness is where they ultimately land. And there's no food. And so God says, listen, I am going to provide you food. I'm going to provide you all that you need. Your clothes aren't going to wear out. I mean, it was a really cool thing that God was doing. And I will provide for you food. So he gave them bread from heaven called manna, and he gave them quail from the sky, you know, birds for the protein. I guess he's figuring out, you know, I'm thinking the manna had like extra vitamins in it. So all the food groups are covered. And he provides this for him. And he, and he says, okay, so for six days, every day, for six days, you're going to get up and the food will be provided for you. On the seventh day, you, there, it won't be provided for you. So on the sixth day, gather enough for two days so that you can rest on the seventh. So the first day, you know, they go out and they see the bread from heaven. They go out in the morning and it's like dew on the ground and they have all this bread and, and the quail and all that. And it's fantastic. So what do you think they do? Do you think they just gather enough for that day? Well, some of them did, but some of them didn't listen to God and they thought, okay, I'm going to gather extra just to make sure because I don't know if this is going to happen again. It's a pretty cool miracle. Day two rolls around. They get out their bread from yesterday and it's full of maggots. It stinks. It's rotted. It's horrible. So you can figure from that scenario that the shelf life of the manna and the quail is not very high. So they're going to need to get something every single day. But God was teaching them, you don't need to get any more than just your daily bread, just what you need for today. Do that for six days. But what's miraculous, I mean, like that wasn't miraculous, that's miraculous in and of itself. But then you get to day seven and he says, okay, gather enough for two days. But remember, there's not a good shelf life. It rotted. It's, it's, it had maggots in it. But wouldn't you know it, they wake up on the seventh day and everything that they had gathered extra was still good. And God is teaching the Israelites in that moment, look, I will provide enough for you. And I will not only provide enough for you when you work for it, I will provide enough for you when you obey me and trust me with your rest. And what's funny about the story is that even though they had the manna and it was still good and wasn't stinky and didn't have maggots in it, they still went out, some of them, on the seventh day to see, is there any more manna that we can get today? And there wasn't any. They worked for nothing because they didn't trust God. And what we can learn from that is that God will give us the ability to get done what we have to get done in six instead of seven days if we trust him. Now, this is going to require, require planning on our part. It's going to require us to figure out, okay, if I'm going to take this rest on Saturday, then what is my Friday going to look like to prepare? I'm going to work those six days a week. And like the Israelites, on that sixth day, I might need to work a little bit more so that I can rest on the seventh day. 
It requires a little bit of planning. I know I've been attempting to do this for a little while, um, off and on for years, but for the last five months or so, I've been really trying to make it a habit. And so on that sixth day, I'll think about, okay, what could be a crockpot meal or what could be just an easy meal that I could make? Um, what do I want to get done ahead of time so that it's not going to drive me nuts on the day that I'm trying to rest? And so for me, I'll try to do some cleaning, like clean the toilets, vacuum, do that kind of stuff on the sixth day so that on the seventh day I can rest. Now, mind you, at the end of the seventh day, my house is not looking good because I have four kids and I'm not running after them, cleaning up after them all day. Like right now, if you looked at my house, because yesterday was Sabbath and I came here this morning, don't come to my house right now. Cause like there's crumbs underneath the dining room table. There's clothes on the floor. I'm sure the laundry's piling up. Like it just is what it is. But in, in that process, God is teaching me things. He's teaching me patience. He's teaching me that not everything has to be perfect. He's teaching me that I don't have to earn my way to him. He's teaching me that family time and just looking at my kids instead of cleaning up after my kids is valuable. And so what you will find if you attempt to do this is that God will help you get done what you need to get done if you prioritize during the sixth so that you can have a break on the seventh. I mean, let's be honest. You are not getting everything you want to get done in seven days anyway. So just agree to not get it all done in six days instead of seven. The to-do list will always be there. So think about some things. Think about this in your life. Now, if, if, if you are someone who's like still kind of hung up on the, I've got to produce, I've got to do something, I have to accomplish. Let me tell you, when you are resting on the Sabbath day, you are producing something. You are producing a better you for the other six days. Now, this takes some time working out and figuring out how it's, how it's gonna look in your family. I mean, for some of you, you have a varying schedule and so you'll have to figure out what day it's gonna be for each week. I mean, for some of us, it's gonna be the same day every week. For others of us who have shift work or, or just have like family life that's different, you know, it might change a little bit every week. But try to plan ahead and think of on your calendar, like literally write it out. What is this day I'm going to take to rest? And then I just, I didn't, this was a light bulb for me. On Friday, I was in my group, my life group, and we were talking about rest. And my one friend said, well, yeah, we use paper plates that day. I'm like, oh, paper plates that day. That's fantastic. I was excited about the Instapot. Now I've got paper plates on top of it. But there are tricks that you'll learn along the way. Like I also have learned I cannot go to Kroger on what I consider the Sabbath. I thought that I could. And last week I, I, I'm like, oh, I'll just go into Kroger for just a little bit. I just got to get a few things. Well, on Saturday morning to go to Kroger, first of all, okay, not a good idea. And it's all rearranged and they were having fantastic sales. And so I stayed there way too long. Then I got home and of course, grocery shopping is not just grocery shopping. Then you come home and you have to put it all away. So then I had to put it all away and then I look in the kitchen and the kitchen is still a mess from breakfast. So anyway, so my morning was not restful. You're gonna have days like that. You're gonna have days where you're like, oh, that didn't work. I'm not gonna do that on my Sabbath again. The key is you just keep trying. Because remember, we're not earning our way to heaven based on this. This is just us trying to find a healthy rhythm to our lives. And so in that time that you have, so what do you do on your Sabbath? Well, you're going to want to spend a little bit of time with God. 
If you don't spend any time with God during the week, start with a little bit of time with God. If you are very consistent with your times during the week with God, then extend that a little bit um, on your days off. What you want to see and remember is in that commandment, it said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, okay? So remembering it is planning it and keeping it holy, holy remember is different, set apart. So that day is going to look different. And for each of us, it's going to look different, but it needs to look different than the other six. So depending upon your life situation right now, you can literally lay around in your bed all day if you want. For some of us, that's possible. For others of us, we still have little ones to take care of, or we still have um, other things in other parts of, of life that will need to be taken care of. Like for example, in our family, we just finished the soccer season and my husband was coaching my son's team and there were soccer games on Saturdays, which is when we were trying to take our Sabbath. And so how we dealt with that is we, okay, well then maybe we don't do a ton of other things on that day. We're still gonna let him be involved in that sport and we're still gonna enjoy it. And for my, my husband, that coaching was, is very enjoyable for him. So it, it almost is like an act of worship because he's going and he is getting replenished. And you'll find that serving sometimes is a great thing to do on Sabbath. Jesus served on Sabbath. For many of you, Sunday mornings are going to be, or Sunday during the day is going to be your Sabbath. And if you serve here, hopefully it's something you enjoy and get life out of. And it can be a part of that Sabbath. But think of things, you know, if you're trying to decide, is this something I can do on Sabbath or something I can't do on my Sabbath? Ask God. Ask him, is this something that's good or not good? And then also ask yourself, is this something that is replenishing and refreshing to me? Or is this something that just depletes my energy by the time I'm done? And that can help you to kind of decide what's good and bad. Some people have hobbies that they love to do that they haven't been able to do because they're so busy all the time. Well, maybe that's something you can do on your Sabbath. Think about ways that you can make that day just a little bit different. If you have those sporting events or those obligations that you have to do, maybe limit it to just that one thing, or maybe take it slow, go a little bit early so that you're not rushing to get there. Stay a little bit and just chat with people or, or just be in the moment and present instead of rushing on to the next thing. Now, I want to give you one last account out of the Bible to kind of solidify all this. This is both for silence and for solitude. If you still are thinking, I just can't do this, Jen. I can't wrap my mind around doing this in my particular situation. Let me read to you what Jesus did, okay? This is in Matthew, and this is right after Jesus found out that John the Baptist was beheaded. Now, John the Baptist was his cousin and also kind of um, a, a co-laborer in the ministry. And he finds out that John the Baptist was not only beheaded, but beheaded for humor, basically, and for entertainment at a party. And it says this, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, this is God in the flesh who knows all things and know how God is working and has God's perspective. But in that moment, grieving, he needed time. He needed time alone. And so he went off to a solitary place. 
Well, the crowds didn't want anything to do with that. It says, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. Now, this reminds me of like, as soon as I lay down on the couch, all of a sudden my kids need something that I have to get up for, you know? And so here he is trying to get away. The crowds won't let him get away, and they come after him. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, if you read on in this story, this is the day he feeds 5,000 people. This is the day where literally all day long he is preaching, he is healing, and it has taken all day so everybody's hungry and he has to feed them miraculously at the end of the day. This is a full day of ministry and all he wanted to do was go and be alone. And there are going to be times in our lives where all we want is solitude or all we want is rest, but there are people around us that need us. Or there are things that come up that we cannot avoid. And so in those moments, we've got to deal with those needs. We have to help those people or whatever it is that is presenting itself in that moment. But listen to what Jesus does. After he feeds the 5,000, this happens. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, after that, he, or after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, I love this right here because Jesus is still pursuing what he knows he needs. Even though it was difficult and even though it came later than he wanted it, he still knew he needed the solitary time. He knew that he needed time with God alone and rest. And so in our lives, there are going to be times where we can't get what we want when we want it in in the area of silence and solitude and rest. However, keep pursuing it. Keep looking for an opportunity for it because it is good for you. It is a gift for you. Don't give up on trying. Then it gets even better, okay? It says, later that night, he was there alone. So he's up on the mountain alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. What I love about this is God caught Jesus up. He took that time away to be with God and God made a way for him to catch up to where he needed to be. There will be times where it will seem like, I can't, I can't, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. But you know that what you need in that moment is silence or what you need in that moment is rest. And if you take it, God has the ability to help you move and catch up to where you need to be. Sometimes it's because, it's just naturally because of the rest and the silence. Like it does that restorative thing to our body that helps us to perform better. Now, I don't expect you to walk on water and I don't expect you to miraculously feed 5,000, but God can and will do things with our energy and our abilities to help us do what has to get done. He knows what has to get done. Now, let me finish with one last scripture. This is Isaiah 30, 15, and I want you just to listen to these words, okay? It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. 
You do not want to be a person who looks at God and his gift and says, I don't want any of it. God knows what is best for us. Better than you know, he designed you. He made you out of the dust. In your mother's womb, he was forming you. Not because he was making you to do something for him, but because he decided he was going to love you. And it is not based on what you can do. It is not based on what you can produce or how many checks on your list you make. He loves you because you are you. And it is a gift to receive that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are not workhorses, but we are human beings. And that you love us. We don't deserve it. Lord, thank you for this life that you thought up. Thank you that we have the ability to enjoy it and that you give us permission, that you want us to. Father, help us to slow down. Help us to be present and with you. Lord, show us where we can align our lives differently so that we can make these practices a part of our life. For each of us, Lord, you know what our lives look like. So help us, Father. Lord, I pray that you would break the chains of busyness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.